to the CIPD podcast on leadership. Hello, I'm Rajan Datta, and you're listening to the CIPD podcast on leadership from the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. In this podcast, we'll be talking about what leadership means, what it takes to do it well, and how to deal with the shortage of candidates that so many organisations say they're experiencing. We've had some great feedback on our first podcast. If you haven't heard it yet, don't worry. You can still listen to it at www.cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts, where you can also sign up for future CIPD podcasts. This is the second in the series. Keep listening to hear from experts on leadership and one or two leaders themselves. We hope you'll pick up some of the trade secrets. But first, we asked Duncan Brown, Assistant Director General at the CIPD, why leadership is such an important issue for HR. Well, I don't think leadership's uh, just a big issue for HR. It's a big issue for all of us. You know, if you look at politics at the moment, Brown, Blair, Cameron, Campbell, or you look at my kids' history books, uh, you know, there's stuff with the study of great and, and some of the not-so-great leaders. And if you look at the history of management thinking and research over the last century, I think it's largely been concerned with three questions, really. There's the why question. Why are we here? What's the purpose and mission of the organisation? What are we here to do and achieve? Second, the what question. What sort of organisation and resources, systems and skills do we need uh, to, to be able to achieve that? And finally, the who question. Who are the sorts of leaders we need to achieve our goals and how we develop them and retain them? And as US management guru Jim Collins said at uh, Harrogate a couple of years ago at our national conference and exhibition, the who question is the most important because you've got to decide who you want on and who's driving your metaphorical bus even before you decide where you're driving it to. As he put it, first who, then what. And of course it's therefore a critical part of the role of the HR and development function because we're the people with the professional skill set to be able to assess and develop the types and numbers of leaders who are necessary for the organisation to succeed in the future. So leadership has been around as a management issue for some time, but recently it's an issue that's been brought into sharp focus. We asked Duncan whether he thinks things have changed. Yeah, I think there is a difference today. I think there's a, probably a couple of things in, in what I see being discussed at all our conferences and events on leadership. The first is that people are much more concerned about where they're going to get their leaders for the future. Uh, the sense of shortages of good leaders, of leaders in the future who are going to need different skill sets, uh, which the organisation doesn't have, and which it's getting increasingly difficult to find in the external uh, labour market. So I think that's the first big change. The second one is, is, I think, a big shift in the, in the sort of popular prevailing models of leadership. I think we're in this sort of uncertain, challenging, uh, rapidly changing era, and, and there's been a definite move away from the kind of aggressive Lee Iacocca or Jack Welsh stereotype, the kind of kick-butt, top-down management leadership style of the, of the 1980s and 1990s, these few charismatic individuals who sort of single-handed apparently shook up and transformed the performance of, of major corporations. I think more recent research, such as Karana's Curse of the Superstar CEO, has shown these individuals were often actually damaging to long-term organisational performance, and the stereotype probably wasn't accurate anyway. Jack Welsh, for example, devoted considerable resources to developing capable leaders around him and for the future in GE. 
but we are seeing this shift. It's it's to a more sensitive, a more consensual, more sort of context and culturally aware, more broadly based, participative, more adaptive and team oriented, more coaching model of leadership, which better suits our times and the makeup of our organisations today. Of course, leaders have still got to take tough decisions, but there's greater recognition that we need far more effective leaders today at all levels in the organisation, and that in order to be effective, leaders have to take their followers with them and vary their style to suit the different situations they face. Philippa Lamb caught up with Gareth Jones, a visiting professor at INSEAD. She asked him the million-dollar question. What makes a good leader? Well, there's no recipe to that. If you think there's a recipe answer to that, then you're going to be disappointed. Um, What people who aspire to leadership need to find out is what works for them. And what works for them might be their intellect, their humour, their loyalty. I've even seen people use their physical attributes, like their size, as a leadership asset. So the, the really important thing is to find out what works for you. Professor Gareth Jones. Adrian Morehouse was a professional swimmer who won a gold medal at the Olympics. He's now managing director of Lane 4. Philippa talked to him about what he reckons makes a good leader. I think a good leader is somebody who inspires people and creates something compelling enough for people to want to follow them. How do they do that? What skills do they need? For me, it's been quite interesting having gone from an individual competitor in a sport to trying to be a managing director of a business and lead people. So I've had to, I think, change quite a lot and adapt the way I do stuff. But I think this idea of a leader articulating something and starting to create a story around where the organisation is going to go and how people have a role in that and what their role might be and why that's important and what it means for the customers. So I think there's something around creating something compelling for people to want to be part of. In exclusive research ahead of his masterclass at the CIPD's annual conference, David Taylor spoke to 60 CEOs to gain a unique insight into what leaders are really thinking and worrying about. Philippa asked David what he discovered. One of the other issues that came out of these conversations was the difficulty of clearly stating or indeed clearly establishing a vision for their organisations. Absolutely. HR directors often say to me, my CEO won't share the vision with me. And I say, well, there's a reason for that. They haven't got one. And I would say most organisations that I know do not have a clear, concise and compelling vision. Did that surprise you? Stunned me. As one CEO said, we're a really successful organisation. Imagine how successful we'd be if we had a vision. So, setting the vision is important. But on a day-to-day basis, Gareth Jones thinks effective leaders are the ones who can adapt to their context. Talk me through this idea you have about leaders being authentic chameleons. How does that work? Well, what's interesting about the chameleon, just so you understand the image, is that the chameleon adapts to circumstance, but is always a chameleon. Now, our view is, if you take seriously our proposition that leadership is contextual then leadership behavior has to adapt to context and in the little example in our article if we take a week in the life of uh, Tony Blair he fulfills many different roles in that week and the question we have to ask ourselves is there an authentic thread is there something is there something common across all the role performances within that variety of roles I mean if you just think about your your own life I mean do you behave the same way at home as you do at work do you go home do you go home and say to your husband it's time for your annual appraisal (laughs) regularly I've been really happy with the gardening but there are areas for significant improvement I bet you don't and if you did you would get feedback um 
It's one of the functions of commuting, by the way, which enables you to change from one set of roles to another. So what we've been trying to argue is that it's been a huge mistake to say that you are either authentic or a role player. What effective leaders are are authentic role players. To be successful at leading is a real challenge. But once you're a successful leader, it's staying at the top of your game that's even harder. Sidney Finkelstein, Professor of Management at Dartmouth College in the United States, has been studying leadership for 10 years. He's seen a lot of fantastic leaders, and a lot of leaders fail. He told us what common mistakes leaders tend to make. They do a lot of things that are wrong, and they're not necessarily the opposite to what you should do to be, to be right. The primary themes are things like lack of open-mindedness, unwillingness to learn, learn new things. Of course, classic arrogance and hubris uh, show their face as well. But the part that we really have been missing is the part that separates the people that have been successful for a while and continue to be successful versus those that have, have had the track record but then fall off by the wayside. And the things that really differentiate those, those two groups more than anything else is when the uh, the, the leaders really begin to believe that they've got it all figured out rather than um, listen to critiques of what they're doing, what the company's doing. They, they often go out of their way in classic shoot-the-messenger fashion to, uh, um, to reject and hopefully, if they can, remove the people that are, uh, um, that, that are generating those, uh, those alternative points of view. Obviously, in recent years, we've seen a, a string of very high-profile corporate scandals, failures of leadership. Do you think situations like Enron have affected the way leaders will behave or wish to, at least wish to appear to behave in the future? Oh, I think it's having a big uh, impact, especially with uh, the sentencing of Jeffrey Skilling, the former Enron CEO, 24-year prison sentence is going to catch anyone's attention, to be sure. I think the world comes, the Tycos, the Enrons, it's a global phenomenon. And uh, I, I think CEOs are more and more concerned that they're understanding what's really going on. This is the CIPD Podcast. Researching the most common leadership mistakes has helped Sydney understand what makes a truly successful leader. So in terms of how great leaders present themselves, what's your favoured model? Do you like the, the Jack Welsh, highly charismatic, aggressive, punchy model? Or do you prefer a more perhaps 21st century, accessible, lower key, lower impact leader? Charisma is okay within within a certain range, but the real hallmark of the successful leader, I think, is one who uh, who doesn't always have to be front and center uh, in any type of decision scenario. In fact, I think what we know from a lot of research and it's common sense to some degree as well is that the most successful organizations, most successful teams, are the ones where um, the the leader generates the ideas and the energy and the ta- and, and and really uses the talent that he or she has. Um, almost in almost every instance, it's the really it's really the team that will win more than the leader. For Adrian Morehouse, you'd think the transition from Olympic swimmer to business leader would have been a radical one, especially in terms of shifting from very individual and personal objectives to team-based ones. Philippa found out that actually the two aren't as different as we might imagine. I mean, I'm assuming that was just all about you, the individual, not a team effort about you performing at your maximum. But now... I mean, it's an entirely different role, isn't it, running a big organisation with a load of other people. How have you made that transition? Um, there are two aspects to this. I think that it, it wasn't as selfish. Well, my mum used to call me very selfish, but it's quite a self-centred sort of existence. But 
when you get to the Olympic level, the use of experts is, is quite a strong piece of what you do. So for me to have a nutritionist, a psychologist, a strength coach, a physiologist, a swimming coach, I had a group of experts that were bringing their best skills to bear for the benefit of my performance. So I think I was good at drawing in people. So right now in lane four, you know, the legal advice we get or the accounting advice or HR advice, I'm, I'm pretty good at not wanting to be everything to all people but bring advice in. So that's something that carries forward. But the, the bit that's... The second part, as you mentioned in the question, is that a personal change around my self, my selfish vision, if you like, was around me winning races. Now, it's, there's still a vision around lane four achieving, but what my realisation is that I'm not going to do it on my own. I've got to do it with other people. And not only that, I'm probably not going to do it with other people. They're going to do it anyway. So all my role is it's like a 180-degree flip over, and it's around the ego, I think. I think it's around getting off your high horse and realising that you're not the only one that's going to make this happen. Adrian Morehouse. Not all organisations are getting it right, though, according to Gareth Jones. Every organisation I talk to says that they are short of good leaders. Why is there a shortage of good leaders? Well, because many organisations are killing it as fast as they're trying to find it. Well, they produce a kind of mind-numbing conformity. Um, So, I mean, the reason why big organisations in particular have this leadership deficit, as we call it, is that many of them are structured and cultured not to develop leaders, but to kill it off. Rob Goffey from the London Business School co-wrote the acclaimed bestseller Why Should Anyone Be Led By You? with Gareth. We asked him more about the shortage of good leaders. I was interested also in, in a comment you made about the fact that good leaders that seem to share a tendency to have perhaps um, encountered adversity or at least got out of their comfort zones when they were younger. That intrigued me because, of course, most of the really stellar, bright people who come out of schools and universities in this country don't have that experience, do they? We channel them. They get taken up by corporates or by government departments and fast-tracked onto great things. So is that part of the reason that we have this shortage of, of good leaders? I think you don't build, build um, good leaders in lecture theatres. Um, you've got to get people out of the, their comfort zone. There's a few um, Swiss uh, business leaders in our book, and um, it's one of these places which still has uh, conscript, conscripted armed service. And you talk to people who have had two years in the army uh, against their wishes at the ages of whatever it is, 18 to 20. or It's a very out-of-your-comfort-zone experience and not necessarily very pleasant but I suspect it's one way in which people learn a lot about themselves very, very fast. Um, and I'm kind of, well, we are convinced that, that what certainly large organisations ought to be doing is using the kind of diversity they've got inside their organisations to expose people to lots and lots of different experiences. That was Rob Goffey. Baroness Susan Greenfield has been director of the Royal Institution since 1998 and is the first woman to hold the post. We caught up with her to get her secrets of successful leadership. From what I hear, you've rather sent the wind of change blowing through the uh, Royal Institution. What have you learned about that since you've been at the institution? Oh, it's been wonderful. I've I've been learning a lot and I've been on a a real learning curve. I think the first thing you have to do is to realise that if you want to lead, then you have to have the respect and confidence of the people that you're going to be doing it with. And the thing they're most frightened of is that they're going to be blamed. That's the first thing, yeah. So I remember when I said I wanted to do something, someone said, well, what if we get egg on our face? And you have to say it's my face. And I think increasingly in the workforce nowadays, people are not allowed to take the credit and they're not allowed to take the blame, certainly in the public sector. And it's a very scary but exciting role to do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think you need is you have to believe what you're doing. You know, you shouldn't be doing it just because you're paid to do it or because you think 
then you're going to get some kind of reward for it or because people think you're a great wonderful person you have to do it because you really believe it's an important thing to do because it's only if you believe in it that you will have a passion and excitement for it and in my own view passion and excitement and enthusiasm trumps everything else susan greenfield we've heard some fascinating insights on leadership but what does all this mean for HR leaders? And what does it mean if you're responsible for developing the successful leaders of the future? There's clearly no magic universal formula for good leadership or leadership development. You certainly can't import a single model into your organisation which will give you a production line of tomorrow's successful leaders rolling off the end of it. Too often, I think, still management and leadership development activities exist in a bit of a vacuum. They're accepted broadly as a good thing by organisations, but there's no real grounding for them in what the organisation needs to do to succeed or, or judging whether or not the initiatives are successful. So first of all, HR, we've got to create a clear business case and support at the very top of the organisation in terms of what types of leaders we're going to need in the future, how they're to be developed, the resources and investment required, and how we're going to judge the return on that investment. Um, investors themselves, never mind board directors, are getting increasingly interested in a company's bench strength, as the Americans call it. That's the talent, the depth of leadership capability that you've got in the organisation and what you're doing to develop and secure it. Second, I think you need the right blend of methods and techniques to populate and grow your leaders. And, and I'm, I genuinely mean blend. I think one of the really positive trends at the moment is we're seeing organisations mixing and melding different techniques and development approaches internally, externally sourced, formal and informal methods, face-to-face -face and online development. They're searching to get the right mix of methods to suit their organisation and their people. So the message really is forget fads and fashions and seek the best fit. Finally, you've, you've got to build this, I think, into the real day-to-day -day life of the organisation. So it's not just the kind of theory that can be got over on a training course, and HR's got to be on the lead on this and, and show the courage that's required to make sure that employers are prepared to invest in this for the long term because there aren't any quick fixes in leadership or its development. But that's also a great opportunity in today's talent short environment for HR to really lead the way on this and ensure our organisations have got the leaders in place that they need to succeed tomorrow. There's certainly plenty of food for thought here. Of course, leadership isn't something you can bottle and distribute with the payslips, but it certainly sounds like there's a role for HR in developing the leaders of the future. Thanks for listening to the second CIPD podcast. There are two more to come in this series, available via the CIPD website at www.cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also find out more about what you've heard in this podcast there and sign up to receive future CIPD podcasts automatically. If leadership is a big priority for you right now, there's a wealth of resource available on the CIPD website. Or you might like to consider attending one of the CIPD's forthcoming conferences. There's a conference on leadership in May, and before that, our annual HRD conference will be looking at the subject. You can find out more about these events at www.cipd.co.uk forward slash events. Do let us know what you think of this and our other podcasts at www.cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast.